Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's go to Jeremiah 6. If you're not already there, Jeremiah 6, verse 14 through 17. We are looking at the ancient paths today. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah 6, beginning in verse 14. These are the words of God. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to feel dishonor. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be cast down, says Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I said, a watchman, and I set watchmen over you, saying, Give heed to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not give heed. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and living God, help us to hear your holy word, that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe it, and believe we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. And Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> because of the way the calendar fell this year, I, I thought I would end the year by giving, giving us essentially an exhortation for the future. Uh, tomorrow is the year of our Lord, 2024. Anybody else's year go really fast? <laughs> uh, another year has come and gone, and yet Christ's call on our lives remains the same. A key point of emphasis to consider uh, the year may change, but Christ's call on our lives remains the same. As a church family, we have experienced what a lot of churches experience, and they are best summarized as growing pains. Uh, they are always, they're always going to be physical pains, like shin splints and sore muscles. Uh, and there are emotional pains, like learning how to love one another faithfully. Furthermore, in our situation, finding a suitable place for worship growing together as a community, and weathering various storms, all of it is part of how we grow into greater maturity and holiness. Uh, it's one of those verses in, in James chapter 1 that I think about often. Consider it joy. Consider what joy, James? When you get punched in the face. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> But it, it does help us and grow us, and that's part of the point of the trial. And uh, we, we readily confess that we have not yet arrived. All of us together would confess that. Uh, there is more of Christ to grow into. Uh, that's why we want all of Christ for all of life, not just some of Christ for some of, of life. There's still sin to be mortified and put to death. Uh, there are still problems and obstacles and challenges and hindrances that we must face head-on. Moreover, the world itself is currently driving headlong into a ravine, and the church is forced to deal with the consequences of it, or at the very least, we're trying to prevent it from happening by faithfully preaching and proclaiming the gospel word into all the world. The war for the cosmos continues. Christ has won the war, but we continue with our mop-up job. And yet, here we stand on the rock of Christ and His glorious Word. Now, it's no secret uh, that we live in trash world. 
as it's been called by some. Uh, biblical ethics, and I should say basic biblical ethics as it pertains to sexuality and morality have been jettisoned and altogether discarded. Uh, churches are giving in to the temptation to cave on certain doctrinal issues, key doctrinal issues, I might add, like the virgin birth, substitutionary atonement, uh, and the authority of Scripture. Uh, we are facing unprecedented social collapse. That's what we're watching. We are facing unprecedented social collapse. I say unprecedented for us. Uh, if you track the fall of Rome and compare it to America, it's really easy to see. It's really easy to see. But do not think that this is me uh, being a loudmouth alarmist and a, and a doomsday prognosticator. <laughs> Send me your money, the world's going to end, <laughs> says the televangelist. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, the reality that we face is one that will require us to tread upon the ancient paths once again, to see uh, where we have gone wrong and to repent of it, to repent of where it is we have gone wrong. The, uh, the state of the global church will be just fine, for Christ is on his throne and the Spirit of God is still at work. And, and we do not criticize the church for criticism's sake. She is the bride of Christ. But nevertheless, we have to get back, in my estimation, to the ancient paths, the paths that Christ himself has walked, and we need to make sure that we are thinking soberly about the things of God. And so let's jump right into our text this morning. I want you to notice a few things about Jeremiah in this passage. Uh, first is just the context. Uh, chapters 3 through 6 cover Jeremiah's second sermon. It's his second message, and he highlights the themes of divorce and disobedience and, and the coming destruction, which we'll see in a second. Uh, chapter 3 is all about the divorce of Israel, which is what the book of Revelation is about as well. Um, it's the divorce of Israel. Yahweh is the innocent husband who divorces his adulterous wife, and yet because he loves her and loves her greatly, he wants the marriage to be restored. Chapter 5 is all about Israel's terrible sins and the resultant punishments. Israel has been caught worshiping idols, visiting brothels. Uh, their leaders are abhorrent. I know we don't have that problem today. Uh, and the people are blindly following along. I know we don't have that problem either, right? Thus, in this situation, God will bring disaster to them as a consequence of their disobedience. Now, <clears throat> chapters 4 and 6 go together. And both contain warnings. Um, Israel must plow up their hard hearts. That's the language of Jeremiah. The righteous are to flee Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus does as well with the coming destruction of Jerusalem. A generation after him, he says to flee Jerusalem. He gets, that, that is the same thing Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah's day, they need to flee, flee Jerusalem. <clears throat> and God had given them repeated warnings through the prophet. Over and over again, the prophet is the mouthpiece of judgment. He's the one bringing the lawsuit of Yahweh to the people. Now, the judgment that's coming, that's the thing that's looming. What is that? Well, God's wrath is coming from the north, which refers not to Russia or Iceland, wherever. This is Babylon. The Babylonian invasion is on its way. The cities of Judah will be destroyed. Jerusalem's walls will be torn asunder. 
Punishment will come for everyone, and there is no use offering sacrifices at temple, for God will not accept them. It's like you get to the end of your rope. Well, I guess I'll pray and offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, if that's the last thing you're doing, God's not accepting that. (laughs) That's the first thing we do, not the last thing we do. But that's the situation of Jeremiah. As a result of all of this, Jeremiah is himself agitated and aggravated over the coming punishment, finding himself in utter agony because of it. Jeremiah, is a, all the prophets were really like this, but especially Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. They were in agony all of the time. Now, and we catch a glimpse of that in Lamentations when we read that. He is uh, aggravated and agitated. At the end of chapter 6 here, Jeremiah is found to be, quote, a tester of metals, meaning that he is the courageous one who is to test Israel's spiritual condition. And I would argue every pulpit in America should be a tester of metals. In verse 14, we have a significant problem. The religious leaders are guilty of false peace. I know we've never seen that before. Jeremiah has a word from the Lord. The invasion is coming, like it or not. But the other prophets and priests, they're going around telling them that the problem is superficial. Uh, It it only looks like there's a problem. I know it appears like things are rough, but it's really not that big of a deal. It appears like there is discordance and and, and strife, but really there, there is peace. We have peace. Peace in our time. Where did we hear that from a king in Israel? The message these false religious leaders are conveying sounds pleasant and reassuring. Rather than repenting so that the wrath of God does not smite them, they believe that everything is going to be quite fine. In fact, says verse 15, they do not even feel shame or dishonor with their loathsome conduct. They probably had their own pride movement going on there too. They are misleading the people of God with smooth words dismounted from biblical authority, and they do not care. They too will fall, and God will punish them. But the main issue here surrounds the topic of sickness and the dressing of wounds. Back in verse 7, if you look there at the very end of verse 7, sickness and wounds are continually before Yahweh. So he's already brought this up. And then we jump all the way to our passage, and we see the same thing come. The, the, the malady of sin has plagued Israel greatly, and this is a sword wound. The sword wound is very deep and very serious. Uh, if, if, if you're in battle and a sword is, goes through you, that's a big deal. <laughs> it's a very serious problem. And yet the prophets, they say it's nothing to worry about. It's just a flesh wound. (laughs) Blatant spiritual deception is the result of proclaiming a false peace. All right? And uh, that is exactly what happened during the COVID hysteria. Blatant spiritual deception is the result of proclaiming a false peace. Peace, peace, says the deluded self-righteous one. They offer no cure because they see no disease. Their lack of insight in aiding the sick causes more disease, more fever and infirmity. 
they want to ease the pain by denying the patient's suffering, which increases the problem 100-fold. The more one denies the sickness, the more one aids in death. And the truth is, however, that the wickedness of the rulers and people are past a cure. Their judicial stupor is ripe for judgment, and Yahweh will not relent. Instead of smooth words, which do not heal, Yahweh will execute his wrath and consume them, which we know is exactly what happened. Now, Yahweh assesses the situation through Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is his mouthpiece. In verse 16, there really is only one remedy. Stand by the ways and see Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. Now, this path is said to be good. And when one walks upon it, you will find rest for your souls. Another analogy is used in verse 17 and that of a watchman. In fact, several watchmen have been placed over Israel announcing, Give heed to the sound of the trumpet. Now, Yahweh has proven himself throughout history to be faithful and just to his covenant. He has proven himself. No one can question if God has been faithful to his people. And this path, which promises happiness and blessing, they refuse to walk in it. They refuse. Walk this path. No, we will not. The warning sound from the true prophets are like the watchmen on the wall. They sound the alarm when the enemy draws near. They won't listen. They're on the wall, blowing the trumpet, warning the people, the invasion is coming, the enemies are at the gates. Now we won't listen. There's no trumpet sound. When following the, the truth of God's word, walking soberly in the ancient paths of covenantal blessing, one is completely at peace. You can be at peace in the midst of disaster by walking in that ancient path. You really can. But when we obstinately run in the, in the other direction, we are in turmoil. Calvin writes, When God deals so kindly with men and so condescendingly sets before them what is useful and expedient, it is the basest ingratitude to reject such kindness on God's part. When he holds out the promises and you say, We will have none of them, that is ingratitude. And it is horrific. Now note that first sentence in verse 16. Yahweh tells his people to stand by the ways. That is, he says, this is another way you could almost translate it. Occupy the road that he has constructed. Be on that road. Be present. Camp out there. Live there. And he tells us to see or look for these ancient paths. In fact, we are to inquire and ask for them, which means diligence is required. That's, that's one thing that is sorely lacking in Christians today is diligence. Diligence. I mean, we can be diligent about laziness, but we won't be diligent with the things God has demanded from us. You're supposed to proactively see the road, see the path, go look for it, find it. Like the lost coin, go turn the house upside down in order to find it, to embrace it, to be there. Isaiah says a similar thing. You probably remember this in Isaiah 8.10. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. 
Jeremiah 12, 16 will later say, Then if they will really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as Yahweh lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be built up in the midst of my people to swear by the ways of Yahweh. Even further, Jeremiah 18, 15 reads, For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods. And they have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths, to walk in bypaths, not on a highway. They would prefer to go trudging through the swampland rather than this beautiful golden road of righteousness. See, when utilizing the phrase, the ancient paths, the prophets are reminding the people about Israel's history. And what he's reminding them, you might what are the ancient paths? Well, what he's referring to is, I think, in particular, the Mosaic tradition. The laws of Moses, they are tried and they are true. We don't need man's law. We have God's law. And when Israel seeks to live under the yoke of God's covenant, they find that, quote, this commandment which I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it far from you. That's Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Oh, God's law is so horrific. It's so burdensome. God gives them his law and says, this really isn't that difficult. The obstinance isn't in the law. It's in you. (laughs) Yahweh had set before them life and prosperity, blessing or curse, uh, righteousness or oblivion. Those are your options. Should Israel obey from the heart? By the way, Deuteronomy speaks a lot about the heart. A lot. In fact, upwards of 50 times the heart is mentioned. So don't get this idea that the law was external and God only cared about your moral conduct and he didn't care what was going on inside. The heart is used uh, almost 50 times. But should Israel obey from the heart, then calamity would be avoided and God would be with them. And all they needed to do was listen to the prophets, the righteous prophets, the sentinels of righteousness. Just listen to the trumpet and take refuge. Right? You... God fights the battle. You don't have to fret. But what you can't do is be obstinate and unwilling to listen to his word. So walk in the ancient paths of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you will find rest. But if you will not, God will judge you. That is the message of Jeremiah. So how shall we then live? Many Christians today prefer smooth words over hard words. They want to be thoroughly comfortable, never feeling too much conviction. To be sure, no one should come to Christ if his aim is to be comforted with his condition. No one should come to Christ if his goal is to have his sin affirmed. Uh, Bourbon might make you comfortable, but Christ will never leave you alone. So don't come to him and ask him to just let me be who I am. He will never let you be who you are. He will change you into who he has called you to be. And it seems to me that today, many people prefer to hear, for example, nice stories uh, rather than biblical doctrinal preaching. Just give me a nice story. Uh, They prefer lullabies for music and uh, donuts and coffee for communion. Rather than taking the gospel to the world, uh, they prefer their sequestered existence. Smooth words are words of false comfort and false peace. 
Sin is no longer an affront to the living God. They are oopsie-daisies. Uh, it's not that you sin, they say. It's that you're not living your true self. You're not living your truth the way you should. You need to be who you really are. And when you do something that's not that great, never calling it a sin, you just, you just failed to live out who you really are. That's why apologies are never apologies. right? I'm really sorry that you were offended. Doesn't seem right. <laughs> Smooth words are soft words. You're not really sick, and that sin problem isn't really a major wound. The infection isn't all that serious. Soft words create hardened hearts such that the hearer is left feeling that God is quite small and she is quite big. Our churches are full of smooth-sounding words that protrude from freshly polished silver tongues. Don't teach and preach the law of God. Just be nice to people. Don't worry about things like lady pastors and liturgical worship. We just need to be more diverse. We need to be more inclusive and welcoming. These same pulpits, if we can even call them that, will tell you that Jesus didn't die for your sin. He died because he loves you and wants you to send positive vibes out in the world. <laughs> you get the idea. What we are dealing with, in, and I was thinking about this this week quite a bit, what we are dealing with is, like a, I don't know how it's to best describe it, it's like an old school and a new school evangelicalism. And the, the ancient paths, especially in the Reformed tradition, are rooted in the law and the gospel of God, the authority and inspiration of the scriptures, uh, the right administration of the sacraments, the, the practice of church discipline, the, the singing of psalms and biblically faithful hymns and so forth. Um, but the newer evangelicalism insists that the only possible way to penetrate the world with the gospel is by leaving the gospel behind in order to tolerate that which the culture prefers. And you'll get people who, who just refuse to get involved in the world, and, and they'll say, well, you just need to just preach the gospel. How many times have you heard that? They're never, I've never get the gospel preached to me, ever. I mean, outside of you know, normal conversations with one another in, in this body. But I, I rarely get handed a track. I, I rarely get engaged in public. And so these just preach the gospel guys, I don't know what they're doing. I, I methinks they're not actually just preaching the gospel. But this new school is always looking for an edge. They're looking some, for some sort of, of gimmick to use in order to appeal to the carnal appetites of men. And rather than using words like judgment, wrath, wickedness, sin, they will use phrases like love wins, uh, live your truth, and inclusivity. Rather than the tried and true ancient paths where the Holy Spirit takes the proclaimed word of God and changes hearts because of it, well, we don't trust that he's capable of doing that. So we'll try to do something else. Let's bring the circus onto the stage and maybe that'll help. See, issuing smooth words at the expense of hard truths is like a doctor unwilling to tell her patient that he has cancer all because she thinks it'll hurt his feelings. Or a judge who sends the rapist away without punishment because he doesn't want to be inconvenienced that day. After all, 18 holes of golf awaits him. Or parents who ignore the behavior of their children because they, they've never been able to tell the child no. You get the idea. 
we have the gospel of the kingdom and we're afraid that some people might not like us. We're afraid that maybe the ancient paths, maybe there's some weeds growing on it and it doesn't look all that safe. When, when dealing with a perilously deranged culture, which is going to continue to head off a cliff, it will not do for us to be shy about our faith. It will not do. It's unacceptable. Unacceptable. If we really believe that Jesus is Lord and the Bible is the Word of God and that God has given us immense responsibilities, then we will never be able to make that palatable to a culture that cannot taste. How do you make something palatable to dead men with no taste buds? You do not. You do not. We are not trying to persuade neutral minds. We are trying to shatter hearts made of concrete. And, and curiously enough, Jeremiah likens the word of God to a hammer. We are not trying to persuade neutral minds. We are trying to shatter hearts made of concrete. I found this quote this week from C.S. Lewis again, and um, I think it says it really well. He said, Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in the dismay I have been describing. And it is no use at all trying to go on to that comfort without first going through that dismay. In religion, as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, uh, if you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Uh, there's a reason we named our, our, our fellowship Cross and Crown. The cross goes first, then the crown. The, the comfort comes only after we've dealt with the sin, only we've dealt with the difficulty. The resurrection goes after the cross. See, the smooth words of false prophets ignore the hard truths. You simply cannot ascertain the level of brokenness without the x-ray of God's holy word. <clears throat> Jesus was very clear, was he not? He who has found his life will lose it. We have a lot of people who have found their life. Jesus said you will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. We also have people who have lost their life for some sake other than Christ's. Jesus also made it clear that he is the ancient path that we must follow. Remember when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. That's Old Testament language. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Torah is a way of describing. God's law is the way, the truth, and the life. Here is Jesus incarnate saying, I am the way, the truth, and the I am the law. I am Torah. You want to walk the ancient paths? I'm that. So follow me. And as it turns out, the New Testament is clear. The ancient path is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the path. He is our trailblazer who has gone through death and out the other side. He is the one who has shown us what it means to walk in obedience to his commands. All the law and the prophets hang on him, point to him, and find their purpose in him. Which means that if we want to today walk in that path, 
we need to be serious about our condition. We need to admit that sometimes we do not heed that voice. Sometimes we don't heed and, and follow his voice. 1 Corinthians 14.8, For if the trumpet produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Jesus is that trumpet. He is that watchman on the wall. He has come and his sheep hear his voice. His trumpet sound is not indistinct. Instead, it is clear, which means we must prepare for battle. Before we wrap up, I'm going to give you quickly five things to consider before we go into this new year. And as I was thinking about this, what do we really need to grasp here? <laughs> when we think about walking in the ancient paths, um, some of this, we've, you know, we've talked about these ideas here and there, but I just wanted to dial them in. And I want, you to, I want to urge you to deeply think about what it means to have communion with God. And that's why I recommended John, John Owen's book this week. Communion with God lies at the heart of Christianity. And if you do not know what that communion with God looks like and acts like, feels like, then you're going to be powerless. You're going to be powerless. Owen writes, Our communion with God lies in His giving Himself to us and our giving ourselves and all that He requires to Him. This communion with God flows from that union which Christ is, or excuse me, which is in Christ Jesus. So what, what we have in our union with Christ, by grace through faith, is a living, vibrant faith for all of life. The benefits of, of Christ have been given to us by the Holy Spirit, and each and every day we have the opportunity to serve Him, adore Him, love Him, and praise Him. Christ is married to us and we to Him, and the fellowship we have with Him is glorious. So, so treasure it. Treasure that communion you have with Christ. Find joy in it. Cultivate it. Right? What's the easiest way to grow weeds? Do nothing. Do nothing. So instead of doing nothing, cultivate that communion. Exalt in the wonders of the gospel of God's grace. Commune with Him well. So with that said, these are the five things I think you must do in order to walk the ancient paths. And again, we'll go kind of quickly here. Number one, you must master the Word of God. And in many sense, you have to be mastered by it. <laughs> you must master the Word of God. Be mastered by the Word of God and master it. You can't know the Word if you're not living in the Word. And when we commit to Scripture, we are committing to communion with God. And why is that? Well, because we hear from Him. God feels so far away from you. Are you listening to his word? Here's the trumpet. Listen to it. He's given us his word, so, so master it. And the reason we don't go to the word is because we think that life is meant to be lived on our terms. So don't make this grievous error. Run to the teaching and the testimony. Learn who God is. Study who God really is. Know his character and his nature. Uh, know who you are, because you need both. Calvin says in the first part of his institutes. You gotta, to know God is to know yourself, and to know yourself is to know God, and those things are intimately connected. But you also need to, to know what God demands of you as a result. So don't be ignorant about the word. Number two, you must be diligent in holiness. You must be diligent in holiness. The reason we don't pray is because we don't think we need God's help. That is the number one reason why people don't pray. 
because they'd think that they do not need God's help. And the reason we don't think we need God's help is because we are preoccupied with ourselves. The Bible is clear. You must be holy as God is holy. And the Bible is also clear elsewhere. We are holy in Christ. Colossians 3.12. So you are called to the ministry of watchfulness. So pay attention to yourself. That's not selfish. That's just diligence. Pay attention to yourself, your life, and your doctrine. Where am I tempted to sin? When am I tempted? Pay attention. And, and then pay attention to others, not so that you can be bitter towards them or judge them, but so that you can encourage them when they need it. Watchfulness, okay? That's the key. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Number three, you must slow down and tread carefully. This, this is a state of the church address. And normally we do those in the new year, but we're on the precipice here. <laughs> so it, it worked out. But if there's one thing I could urge you is to, to slow down and tread carefully. Life can be incredibly hectic. And so slowing down helps, I think, to reassess. In many ways, we have to get back to the basics of Christianity. And that's what I think walking the ancient paths really means. It means being faithful each and every day, maximizing the opportunities that God gives you. So many people rush around in their busy season of life, but if your whole life is a busy season and you can't seem to get it together, maybe perhaps you should take some time, <laughs> slow down and focus on the basics. Be faithful with the little things first. To whom much is given, much is required. To give you an example, um, this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit. So many people think that the purpose of the church is primarily fellowship. That's why we gather. It's to just to fellowship. And I don't think that's true. I think the purpose of the church is worship. It's not. Fellowship is a result of that. I think it's worship. And most of your time, if you think about it, most of your time is spent with your family, at your job, and in your homes. Which isn't wrong. God built it that way. Uh, God has given us, as families, tremendous responsibilities. And if that is all God required from you, you would still have your hands full. So do them well. Take care of your homes. Uh, slow, down, slow yourselves down. I'm preaching to myself here. And tread carefully. Far too many Christians are carried away by rush hour culture that they not only lack Sabbath rest, they lack cohesion in the home, and thus that spills out into the church, and you're just always frazzled rather than being patient and obedient. So slow down, commune with Christ daily. Number four, you must be a faithful watchman. You must be a faithful watchman. I'm telling you, in most churches today, you could go there and not know what's going on, what people are facing the other six days of the week. It's possible. But I want to hasten to add here that we need to not be controversial for the sake of controversy. Um, we want to be so committed to the truth that any sort of controversy that does happen is a result of the gospel and the mission and not our own stupidity. Um, being faithful watchmen means discerning the times. We need to be discerning the times. 
The times we are in requires discernment. It means managing your own affairs, managing your money, and planning. Planning ahead. Uh, managing your own affairs, your family, your time, so forth. It means discerning between good and evil. That's the mark of Christian maturity. That's the mark of a spiritual man, is discerning between good and evil. There are a lots and lots of watchmen. Uh, there certainly were in Jeremiah's day, but they healed the wounds of the people by lying to them. And that's why they were unfaithful watchmen. It's a dereliction of duty, so don't do this. Be a faithful watchman on yourself, on your family, on others, on the world. Number five, you must commit your household to worship and mission. There's a lot more that could be said. We don't have time. But something that we've been asking at the session level for over a year now, and even in our head of households, what is it that pleases God? Then do that. Simple question. What is it that pleases God? Do we ask that often? I, I would urge you to be asking this in your own homes. It's a great rod of correction for your children when they're misbehaving. Is this pleasing to God? Because if we're not anchored to God and His Word, you're just going to, especially in parenting, this isn't pleasing to me because I've been inconvenienced in this moment. Well, who's the standard? We're modeling Christ. He's the standard. Is this pleasing to God first and foremost? I think if you ask that question, you'll get things right. Be committed as a family to worship, both as we gather on the Lord's Day and in your homes as you're studying Scripture. Be committed to that faith for all of life. Be mission-oriented with your time and your attention. Not all of us can do everything, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But be committed to, at the very least, giving some of your time and your attention to these things. Do not neglect the worship God requires and the mission that God has placed upon us. What is it that pleases God? Then do that. This is how we walk in the ancient paths, the paths lined with God's gracious law and gospel peace. So as we go into 2024 and we think about crossing crown and, and more, we're, uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians as a series. Lots and lots of good stuff there. Um, but as we think about 2024, let's be reminded of these things. To be patient in it and to be diligent as well. Because patience doesn't mean slothfulness. Patience doesn't mean slothfulness. Patience means obedience. Let's pray. Father, God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have given to us through Jeremiah, the prophet. And I would ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words that you have given and that they would be impressed upon us. And whatever pressing is required, I pray that you would do it to help us to take these things seriously so that we might be obedient and diligent, being good watchmen, listening to the voice of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us not to heal the brokenness of people superficially by declaring a false peace, but instead help us to declare the truth, the good way, the ancient paths. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.